We turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to cover the first 21 verses of 18. We can give thanks that our, our God and Father has not hidden Himself from us. Uh, that He is clear uh, from the very beginning of the Bible to the end on what He is doing in the world, both of His power and of His might, as we've seen in the opening of Genesis, but also His intent to be in relationship with His people. And so this morning, as we uh, go back into the story of this family waiting for a child, uh, we'll look at it. You know, It's kind of been a, a diamond we keep rotating and looking at what God's telling us through this kind of elongated promise from Genesis 12 to where we are now, today we look and see a revelation of Himself uh, to us, His people. Can I pray before we read God's Word? Our Lord, we thank You for Your Word. It's precious to us because it's Your voice, Father, speaking to us in this world that we hear and uh, know what You desire for Your people, what You command of Your people, what You're doing for Your people. And so this morning, Lord, as the Word is read... We pray that Your Spirit would be at work in our midst, that it would give us ears that hear and understand, eyes that see, hearts that are receptive. God, as Your Word is read, may we hear Your very voice, and may we be directed to Your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and it's in His name we pray, Amen. Beginning with verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be wrought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. 
the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. This is God's word for His people. Amen? This morning, is uh, the sermon's titled Clear Revelation, I really want to look at three things. There's a lot of mystery in, in God. We will never be able to completely mind or comprehend the depths of His being. Yet He has shown us certain things about Himself. So this morning, we'll look at three things. God reveals Himself to His people. Two, God reveals Himself in the child of promise. And three, God reveals Himself in judgment. So first, God reveals Himself to His people. I know it must feel like we're cycling uh, over and over again through the same story. Uh, we might ask, why does God spend so much time situating us in these promises to Abraham? Some of the deepest truths of the Bible are laid before us in the story of Abraham, Sarah, and their son-to-be-born Isaac. And each angle as we've gone through this narrative brings us to something more that we may see about ourselves and about Jesus Christ. I want you to see how much God wants to reveal to us about Himself. He shows us His, his closeness and His intimacy. He, he shows us how zealous He is to, uh, for us to, to trust Him and to believe His promises. And He wants you to know and love His promised Son. The whole Bible, the whole story is to lead us to Christ. So verse 1, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he sat at the door of his tent. He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. It's easy to read over this first verse and uh, have our first thoughts to be on Abraham, an old man who's, who's sitting in the heat of the day, drifting in and out of sleep. And uh, There's something, though, uh, more deep, more profound happening. It's God Himself who has come into the, uh, into the presence of Abraham. The main character of our narrative is God. God who is so high, so lifted up, uh, who rules and reigns over all of His creation, has come now and He's entered in a special way. He who cannot be seen has come down in a way in which man can behold Him and speak with Him directly. Abraham is able to lift up his eyes and behold it. I mean, that's a remarkable and wonderful revelation 
God who is a spirit and cannot be looked upon has taken on a form in which he can be perceived and seen by Abraham. And Abraham can, at this revelation, uh, barely contain himself. You see the quickness of the next couple of verses, verse 2 through 3. He ran from the tent and he, he bows down before him and says, Oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by me. This is a divinely orchestrated meeting and God has come to meet with Abraham. Now zoom out for a moment. Zoom out to what's happening here on a Sunday morning. That God uh, is in the presence of His people and you could miss it if you're not paying attention. Nodding off in your chairs maybe like Abraham in the heat of the day, uh, sitting at his tent. Now that could be the pastor's problem or that could be your problem. But you could miss that something special is happening here on a Sunday morning. God meets with His people. That he, he, he meets with His people when they gather together and worship. That He is revealing Himself to us this morning with no less power, no less presence than He blessed Abraham with. God meets with His people when they gather for the preaching of the Word. You want to hear His voice? You have heard it already. We read the Word. This is Him speaking This is Him revealing Himself. This is His presence with His people. So lift up your eyes like Abraham and behold. Let your hearts leap to action like Abraham who ran to meet with God and say, Oh Lord, if I have found favor in Your sight, do not pass by Your servant. God desires intimacy with His people. And this is what the the meal says really teaches us that that Abraham begins to prepare for for these strangers going through the land. He prepares a meal for his visitors. He's about to dine with the creator of the world and the founder of his salvation. God doesn't pass by his people. He stoops and he stops and he eats with them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. This is what happens at the table. Look how Abraham receives God's revelation of his presence there's this, this quickness to his response. He delights in the presence of God. He prepares an overwhelming feast for him. He doesn't give him a morsel. But he runs to Sarah and says, prepare three seas. That's five gallons of flour, right? He's preparing a huge feast. And then he says, he runs quickly to his herd. And he doesn't just choose any, uh, any animal, says he chooses one that's fine and wonderful, right? He chooses the best of the meat and he brings it and then he gives them a refreshing drink. One could say, if you read this, right, his whole heart is interested in the presence of God running from one place to the next in service of him. What does it look like to entertain God? It is to run in service of him. Delighted at His presence, to stand by Him as Abraham did in verse 8. He honors God, it would seem, with His whole being and His whole resources. That's what it looks like to entertain God. But let's turn the narrative on its head. It isn't merely 
a man delighted that God would visit and sit with him, but it is God who indeed has come down to dine and speak with him. There's a picture here for us of what Christ has done for his people. God reveals himself to his people. The appearance of the three men is not of earthly origin. One of them is the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ is appearing to Abraham. And we know this because Abraham greets him as my Lord. And it says that the Lord has appeared to him. And it would be thousands of, of years later. But finally the Son would come and take on human form that He would condescend again in the person and the work of, of Jesus Christ. And He would receive, just like He did from this old man here, Abraham. Uh, one of my favorite stories is the, another old man that sees this Christ and receives Him. Simeon sees Jesus. He's, he's been waiting with eager reception. He, he, he says, Lord... Uh, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. These according to the promises. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of your people. A light of revelation. What's happening in the story of Abraham is God is revealing himself to his people. And recognized by Simeon later, this light of revelation is seen in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fullest revelation of God to His people. Jesus, also called Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to how intimate God is with His people who has come down to declare God's will and purpose for us. Christ is the revelation of God to His people. As John 1 says, for the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we are, not sitting at the Oaks of Mamre, but sitting in Brentwood, Tennessee, and you can lift up your eyes and behold that God reveals Himself to His people in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. So that this then naturally takes us to our second point. God reveals Himself in the child of promise. Uh, my kids are already beginning to ask, uh, can we start playing Christmas music around the house? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not quite ready for that yet. But they know there is a definite day that December 25th is coming, that they're getting closer, the weather's starting to tell them that, the calendar's starting to tell that, but most of all, their hearts are starting to tell them that. Children, are you anticipating the coming of Christmas? Yes? Does it make you excited? You know when it comes every year, right? They let you out of school early as the time ticks down. I don't think it's time to start the Christmas music. But there is an anticipation. Now I hope, children, that it's not just simply that you get presents. But that you're, you're starting to understand the concept of a world that was waiting for a son to arrive. So that when you can barely sleep the night before, oh, the anticipation it must be to have a Savior enter the world. It teaches us something about God who reveals Himself in the child of promise. God didn't just come to meet with Abraham. Verse 9, He says, Where is Sarah, your wife? 
She's in the tent, just there. She can hear you. The Lord has something He wants the bride to hear. Verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Just as a, a quick reminder, the text again tells us that it kind of beats them over the head a little bit. Listen, the people are old, right? It keeps telling us that. Uh, it says, uh, just as a reminder of how miraculous this news is, so we don't forget what a remarkable thing God's doing. It says, Abraham and Sarah, verse 11, were old, and Sarah was past the years in which she could have a baby. So this news that she's hearing from the tent door is too much for her, and you can hardly blame her, right? She laughs to herself, where no one could hear and said, after I am old and worn out, <laughs> and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Notice where her eyes go. Notice where her heart goes when she hears the promises of God. Because this is instructive for us in the way we understand the gospel. She hears the good news, and what does Sarah do? She turns and looks at herself. And she laughs when she considers her own condition. God has told her something that is true, and she turns inwards, and she sees her own condition, and she thinks, God couldn't do such a thing with me. In other words, to believe the gospel, we need to see ourselves in light of what God promises and not in our own capabilities. What are the hindrances to believing the gospel? I've heard them before. I'm unlovable. In fact, if all you people really knew me, you wouldn't love me either, right? I'm too great a sinner. Or I've run from Him my whole life. How could He have me now? Or I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith to think the promises given in Christ could actually be mine. Or I am dead in my sin. I feel that death and there is no way that I could ever have life again. Or it's too late. For so great a promise to come to me. No, that's wrong. It's wrong-headed. That is why God, who hears the silent laugh and sees the condition of his heart, says to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Concerning your salvation, no. Consider the means, right? Is anything too hard for the Lord? His Son breathed His last upon the cross and three days later rose again from the dead. Is anything too hard for our Lord that can overcome death? No. Nothing. Sarah, nothing is too hard for the Lord. That's what He's revealing. You see, this is a divine appointment for the bride with the bride, that the bride would know the power and the promises of God, that a child has been promised and appointed, the time in which he would arrive, appointed already. And who is the bride in the Bible but the church? That I might 
remind you, as verse 14 says, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. This is not the only son of promise appointed in the Bible for the people of God. All your hopes of salvation hang on the divine appointment of a son for your salvation. Galatians 4 speaks of this when it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we may receive adoption as sons. And this Son was appointed. Not Isaac. A greater Isaac. Even a greater Abraham. It's interesting how Christ fulfills all this, all this imagery of the Old Testament but a greater Abraham and a greater Isaac, the Son Christ was born. Prepared, by the way, before the foundations of the world, as Ephesians 1 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Great promises, which He prepared for us in an appointed time before the founding of the world. And the purpose of His will to send His Son was so that in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of His grace. So the question asked of Abraham, where's your bride? Where's Sarah? Because I have something I want her to hear is the same way He addresses us this morning. He speaks to us now as Christ's bride, and says, I have something I want you to hear. In the time appointed, God has revealed to us His promised Son, our salvation, that we should believe in Him for our salvation. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And how will this Son deal with those whose faith is so often as weak as Sarah's? Listen, He'll come gently. Isaiah 42, you might say, this news is too good. Or you might look at yourself and say, yeah, but faith is my problem. He keeps saying, have faith, but that's my problem. He says, behold, that is look the revelation of my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. Look, look what God's looking at. He's focused on the perfection of the Son, I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And now he sort of turns to the, the people. Here's the perfection of the son. What does he say about the people? A bruised reed. He will not break. And a faintly burning wick. He will not quench. What is he going to do? He says, I will take you by the hand. And I will keep you. And he will open the eyes of the blind to bring out prisoners from the dungeon. I am the Lord I will do it. He says it there again. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Don't laugh at news this good. Delight in it. Yes, to Sarah's question, God will give you this pleasure in His Son, but we must not conceal our faults like Sarah did. You can't hide your sin. God's eyes see the heart's of all people from afar, He knows your thoughts. 
So where does that leave us? We must repent of sin and come to Him in faith. So God has given us clear revelation in His presence with His people and in His promised Son so that we see one more revelation He has for Abraham and us. The last part, probably for us, our least favorite part, not the most popular thing to talk about, but God reveals Himself in judgment. God has not hidden His presence or His purpose, and so in verse 17, He will not hide what will happen to the faithless from Abraham. It's so crucial for Abraham and Sarah to have faith in Him, because just as He is gracious in His salvation, He is also just in His judgment. Abraham will be the father of a great kingdom, and he will see, because God will show him, what will be the outcome of all other kingdoms in the world. In many ways, what's being told him about Sodom, Sodom represents here not just this this city, Sodom and Gomorrah, it's the nations. What God's showing him and instructing him uh, is what will happen to the nations who are faithless, those who are apart from Christ. So that when he, 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 he's uh, turning, it says, he's, he's been talking with him, he turns and he looks to Sodom. And he, he tells, uh, you, get, you get a part of a, a conversation here, Abraham, I'm not going to hide from you what's about to take place. You need to see it, and you need to understand that that city, and you know it, Abraham, because you've heard, the outcry coming from that city is rising up to heaven. It's as if uh, they're shaking their fists at the heaven. This is what sin does, by the way. In rebellion, we are rebels. Our sin shakes its fists at God and says, I'm going to do it my way. I don't need you. I can find my own way. I don't need your instruction. I can navigate this thing by myself. It cries out to God. And not just cry out to God, those around them, maybe the outcry is those who are are in this wicked city and the oppression that happens, the wickedness. It's crying out to God nonetheless. He says, I'm not going to hide this from you, Abraham. This is what is happening. Look, there's, there's, there's always like two categories when God describes things. There's blessing and cursing. There's judgment and salvation. There's uh, His kingdom and the kingdom of Satan. Right? And there's uh, His people and Satan's people. This is, how he, this is how He speaks when He speaks to Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm not going to hide this thing from you, Abraham. I am a God, as you have seen, who both gives you salvation, and at the same time, without any way contradicting myself, I'm a God who is just in His judgment. Why does He show this to Abraham? Well, Abraham's the father of a nation. Abraham's to instruct his children and down the line of the promises of God. That's what he says to Abraham. Why am I not going to hide it from you? Look what he says. Verse 19, I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. His his task, Abraham's task and his purpose is to tell his children what kind of God has shown them such great blessing and love. It's the same task. 
you've been given in your houses. Really, Abraham here is a prophet and a priest and a king. Fathers in your own home. What is your task? Why is God revealing Himself and showing us all this so that you would teach your household about the promises of God, that you would declare to them the gospel, the good news, believers in this world? You've been given the same task, this evangelistic task that Abraham's to to know about these things so that he might speak to the world in some way about something that's good news in light of the bad news. That we would teach others that their sin is an outcry before a holy God and that He will deal justly with them either, either in salvation or in judgment. God's revelation is clear this morning. He has given us promises and at the same time, He shows us judgment. Verse 20. The Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And yet, over and over, as God reveals here, He has revealed to us yet another thing about His Son. Held in tension is salvation and judgment, both parts of the same coin. And it was Jesus who came down to this sin ravaged world declaring the good of the good news of the gospel and on the cross we see as he suffering and dying placed together at the same time God's salvation and God's judgment so we can feel the import of verse 17 shall I hide from you what I am about to do he shows us in Jesus Christ Clearly on the cross, what sin demands, what it deserves, the judgment that will fall upon the sinner. And at the same time, He reveals to us the salvation that is given to us in Christ who is bearing it Himself. So that Isaiah 53, the Son who was despised, the promised Son, and rejected, who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, who was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, upon Him was all the chastisement. Why chastisement? It's what the outcry of sin demands. But the chastisement that what? Brought us peace. With His stripes, we are healed. When judgment falls, the stripes, something happens for the people of God, healing. And you see, mingled together, judgment and salvation, the Lord laid upon Christ all of your iniquity. And by judgment, as we've seen, I mean, some of these men are probably still hurting in this camp from circumcision. By judgment, Christ was cut off. From the land of the living, and his grave was made with the wicked, as Isaiah 53 says, that we had no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Why does God show Abraham Sodom and what we, he will do to the wicked of the city? It's the same reason he reveals to you the cross. Let me show you what sins Alki demands from a holy and just God. And at the same time, 
Let me show you my promised son and how he will bear it for you. It's the two revelations we previously talked about. His people will see the revelation of God with his people. And they will see the promised son that was given to them. And in seeing the judgment over sin, we may all the more hate our sin and tell others in our household, in our community, of the only hope in Christ Jesus. God gives us clear revelation of His actions so that we will believe. This morning, know that the eyes of God, just as He did with Sarah, penetrate to see your heart. That just as Sarah could not hide her lack of faith, neither can Sodom hide her sin. And our sin cries out to God and demands an answer. Sin ultimately shakes the fist of the heavens and there must be an answer to that. And He has given it in Jesus Christ, the appointed Son. Abraham, after this encounter, God goes up and the two angels go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and you know how that ends. Abraham has a lot to go back and tell his family that night to those in his particular community, to those still wounded by circumcision in the previous passage. And Sarah has a lot to contemplate on the God who just heard her and knows of her faith, knows that she even lied to him. And yet he gives great promises. What about your contemplation this morning and response to so clear a revelation from God? Would you rather be in the camp of the redeemed? Would you rather dwell in Sodom? He has revealed himself to you this morning that you might see how personal, how intimate, how loving, and how gracious our God is so that we might turn and be adopted, as Ephesians said, sons, or Galatians, sons and daughters of the living God. Come to Christ. Let's pray.